Today we're looking at uh, a nice simple topic, just a couple of deaths. Um, so it's going to be a really light-hearted one, not really. <laughs> um, so who would like to read this passage? Matthew? All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one apostle nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. But then there was a certain man named Ananias. 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 And with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wish and after after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about him was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, so was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, that was, she replied, that was, a report, that was a price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to the test of the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried her, your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone who else who heard about what had happened. Hmm. Uplifting, right? So let's pray. Lord, please help us to understand what you were doing at the beginning of the church and, and how that still applies to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I do find this uh, passage in the Bible to be rather shocking. Um, Here we are, right at the beginning of the church. In fact, the very first use of the word ecclesia, which is the Greek for church, in the book of Acts is right here in verse 11. So the church begins with the execution of two of its members. How can we answer those who accuse God of being a judgmental, unloving, bloodthirsty tyrant? What happened to the idea that the church is built on grace? Where's the grace here? Now, given our reaction, you may be surprised to learn that the church has not actually struggled with this account until recently. I did a bit of reading and, and in the past from, you know, way back just after this to 
just a couple of hundred years ago, this account was often used to warn people against straying from God's will. You know, obey God, you don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe people used to say that to their kids, I don't know. <coughs> Why? <laughs> you don't want to be like Ananias? Why then? Why then is this story so ugly to us moderns? I believe it's because we have bought into the fantasy that we can be both completely selfish and fully loved at the same time. We've confused license with grace. We've been tricked into believing that our actions ultimately don't matter, that somehow God can make it all good no matter what we do. But that isn't how the real world works. Our choices do matter. How we treat others does make a difference, both to us and to them. What we desire does matter. So, let's dig into it. Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Paul asks. Of course not! Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? You see, grace does not set us free to sin more. It sets us free from sin. Paul explains further, a little bit further down. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. You see, the world has always thought that it can remake sin as something acceptable. And all the problems that sin causes will go away. Roguish manliness was once used to justify rape and abuse. The fact that modern culture, that very recently we've recognized the damage that this has caused, has not cured us of our desire to justify other sins. Now we practice racism and say that it's addressing systemic injustice. But that doesn't make it right. Our society has replaced one set of approved sins with another. And despite our desperate attempts to ignore the carnage caused by sin, by all sin, we nonetheless all suffer from the results of sin. But the church, the church takes a different approach. Paul exhorts us to be controlled by our new spiritual self, not our old sinful self. He says, don't let sin rule your body. After all, your body is bound to die. So don't obey its desires or let any part of it become a slave of evil. Give yourselves to God as people who have been raised from death to life. Make every part of your body a slave that pleases God. Don't let sin keep ruling your lives. You're ruled by God's kindness 
and not by the law. So you see, our choices do matter. They matter a lot. We are hybrid people. We have a a remade, a regenerated heart, but our body is still a fleshly, a carnal body, a body that tempts us. And so we struggle between the two. Ananias and Sapphira each made a choice to turn away from obeying God, to be ruled by their bodily desires. They chose to live as if God gave license to indulge in sin, not grace to free us from sin. And that choice had consequences. As Peter points out, sorry, I think I might have missed a bit there. The question, of course, is, was this worthy of death? Did they deserve to be struck down on the spot for what they did? They were trying to do the right thing, weren't they? They were giving money to the church. But think about it. If Ananias and Sapphira had been allowed to set a model for the church, the church would be just another bunch of hypocritical humans gathering together to look down on those who weren't part of the club. You see, Ananias and Sapphira weren't just keeping back some money for themselves. Peter points out that the property was yours before you sold it. And even after you sold it, the money was still yours. What made you do such a thing? You didn't lie to people. You lied to God. This couple were not simply cheating the church, they were cheating God. Not of money, God doesn't need money, but of their very selves. They were telling God, you sent your son to die so that we could die to sin, but we like sin. Jesus' death was in vain, as far as we're concerned. In fact, We want to make sin, selfishness and lies a part of how we share in your project to redeem the world, the church. Now the interesting thing is when people refuse to allow God to transform their lives, when they reject the power of Jesus' sacrifice to regenerate our hearts, when people don't want to live like God, delight in his justice, love like him, when people want to cling to sin, God lets them. This is important, so please listen carefully. I've got diagrams because it might be a little abstract, so pay attention to the pictures. There are three ways that God could have built the universe. Okay? To understand this, let's imagine the simplest version of this world. Two people with genuine freedom to do whatever they want in an environment that allows them to act freely. Let's call this Eden. Now imagine that these two people want to do something that's mutually exclusive. Say one hates trees and wants to rid the world of them. And the other person loves trees and wants to fill the world with them. Okay? 
How can God allow both people to have the consequences they desire without the one disrupting the desires of the other? You can't have a world that is both full of trees and empty of them. There are three ways out of this. Okay, This is what happens when people follow their own desires. You get conflicts. There are three ways to resolve these conflicts. They don't have to be about trees, by the way. The desire can be anything. It can be the type of tea you want after dinner. It can be when you want to arrive at the airport, um, early or late. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's right. Lots of things. Um, So, first option. God can remove their freedom to choose. So they won't choose opposing goals. Right? God chooses for them. They don't get to choose. So they become little droids. He can transform their hearts, number two, if they're willing, so that their desires are compatible. Or number three, he can separate them from one another so they can do their own thing without affecting one another. So they have their own little worlds. And they live in their own little worlds. One can be full of trees, one can be empty of trees. Now, we know from the Bible that God never forces people to obey him. The very first couple demonstrates this in the Garden of Eden as God allows them to make a choice that will have terrible consequences for the entire world. We live in the mess that Adam and Eve created. God, if God was going to force anyone to do something, that's when he should have done it. And he didn't because he considers forcing people to his will to be worse than all the evil and suffering of history. So it must be pretty bad from God's perspective. So that leaves two options. The second option, a willing transformation of the heart, is what grace is. It's what transforms us from people who are in rebellion against God, dead in our sins, to people who desire to please God, struggling with our still corrupt flesh to obey him and love him and therefore one another, but nonetheless transformed. Grace allows us to live together in harmony and peace because we all share our greatest desire to please God. And his desire for us is, of course, abundant life. He doesn't want something bad for us. He wants the best. The church is supposed to be a glimpse of this, but just a glimpse, because we're still all struggling with our bodies of sin. We've got regenerated hearts, but our bodies are being a pain in the neck and everywhere else. So we don't always care for God or for one another. But sometimes you get glimpses of this self-sacrificial love, the love of God, this transformed heart. And sometimes you see it more often than not. But Ananias and Sapphira didn't take this choice. They refused to be transformed. Peter prompted them, perhaps hoping that they would repent, but they were stuck to their plan, to their rebellion, to their lies. Which leaves the final way, separation. 
Ananias and Sapphira chose to continue acting in their own selfish interests. And so God separated them from those they would harm, who had different desires. Did you know that throughout scripture, death is portrayed as separation? Physical death is separation of the body and the soul. The body goes into the ground, the soul goes to heaven or hell. Spiritual death is separation of our soul from God. Adam and Eve died spiritually and we're spiritually dead if we have not received Christ and been reconnected with God. And the second death, which happens at the final judgment, is the separation of both the body and the soul from everything else as people are thrown into the, the, uh, the pit, the lake of fire. But, you might ask, couldn't have Ananias and Sapphira merely been excommunicated, separated from the church? Isn't that enough of a separation? I think it's important to understand exactly what was going on around them, the events that they were in the midst of. On either side of this story in Acts are accounts of the extraordinary power of God. In fact, um, just before we read this, we see that there was not a needy person among the church for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as had any need. So we see before this, the context was people who were so transformed that they didn't worry about their own situation. This is what Graham was talking about last week so transformed that they loved with a sacrificial love that didn't even um, worry about their own situation. And then immediately after this account, we read that many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles and they were all together in Solomon's portico, which is in the temple. So... This was no ordinary church. The first church at this time was was absolutely full to the brim with the power of the Holy Spirit. If you rejected the church at this time, as Ananias and Sapphira did, you were rejecting the very presence of God himself. If you reject say, renew, you could say it would be nice to think that the Holy Spirit is, you know, that we're totally full of the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, I didn't heal a lame man on the way home yesterday. Um, and yeah, we're just, we're just not up to that standard, right? Would anyone disagree with that? <laughs> it would be nice if we were, and we can aim for that. But If you rejected Renew, a lot of what you're rejecting is probably a bunch of people, not God. We know what happens when you reject God, right? He accepts your rejection and he separates himself from you. You don't want to be with him? Okay, he'll let that happen. Of course... When God separates himself from you, what are you? 
dead. <laughs> You're dead. Because God is the source of life. The shocking abruptness of Ananias and Sapphira's deaths, as if the very force of life had simply blinked out of their bodies, points to this. God simply let them leave. Now I know none of us need to worry about this, but as I've already alluded to, we don't see liars and hypocrites in modern churches falling down dead because... We don't see modern churches packed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit like the first church was at this time. didn't even last that long, unfortunately. The first church was only like this for a short time. Instead, our churches are packed full of people struggling with their sin. It's sad, isn't it? It's sad that that we're not like that, that we don't see modern churches like that, that the Jerusalem church didn't stay that way for very long. But don't give up. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he will finish the job. He will destroy our bodies of sin and give us new spiritual bodies which will delight in obeying God and we'll be wholly able to love him and one another and live in harmony and peace together forever. In the meantime, we're the new Israel, the people who struggle, which is what Israel means, to follow and obey God. Let's be honest in that struggle. Let's not pretend like Ananias and Sapphira did, that we're giving it all. Unless we are, in which case, let's be grateful that God has given us the strength to do that. Let's remember, above all, that our choices matter. That what we do has eternal impact in other people's lives, in our lives. And let's look forward to God finally saving us from the darkness within us. Now I wanted to finish with a story. You might recognise it. This illustrates the difference between licence and grace. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, that means like wasting his life, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry... He would have eaten the, co- the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. Just as he was at his lowest, he received a letter from his father. Son, here is more money for you to live on. I just want you to follow your heart. Now you might recognize the first part of that story, but then it takes a, a bizarre turn. 
from our perspective, right? What's the difference between this version and the original? Any ideas? Sorry? Yep, it keeps him separated, that's right. He got more money, yep. Living whatever way he likes, with no consequences. Yeah. So yep. the original version, you know, that you guys have been talking about, there's like a threefold pattern. He was cut to the heart, he was convicted, and he broke it. So you know, he came to his senses, I think, is what it says. Yeah, he recognized his sin, he repented, and he and, and the original shows a father who actually values his relationship with his son more than he values his son's self-indulgence, right? So the original parable of the lost son shows us a father who, who shows grace, not license. I just want you to think about your reaction to these two stories. I know that for me, the prodigal son, the story of the lost son is a very, very poignant story. It really pulls at my heartstrings and it really gives me hope and, and um, comfort. But even when we're at our lowest, there's, there's, there's a way for us to become better. And we don't have to carry the burdens of our mistakes with us. We can be transformed and have a new life. But then think about this version of the parable where the son is stuck in his self-indulgence, separated from his father forever. Which father would you rather have? Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand your heart. Help us to value the new life you've given us and the choices we can make to live out of that new life instead of our old selfish way. Please draw us closer to you each day and help us to love as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.